0: Good morning. Welcome to Broadway Baptist Church. It's great to see everyone this morning. Uh, We're so glad you're here. Uh, If you're new to Broadway, we're glad you're here as well, whether it's uh, your first time here or you've been coming for uh, a few weeks now or a few months. uh, We're so glad that you are uh, worshiping with us uh, this morning. There is a tear-off tab uh, in the bulletin, there's a spot for everyone, whether you're looking to sign up for something, be a part of a ministry, you need prayer, uh, or again, if you're new, uh, you can fill that out and drop it in the offering plate as it comes by uh, with any pertinent information that you may have for us. Uh, so. We are so glad to worship uh, our risen King Jesus this morning. Uh, check out your bulletin for other announcements. I'm going to give a plug for D now uh, coming up. The first weekend of March, uh, this is our student weekend. We're really excited about it. Uh, we're hoping for a ton of teenagers to be here uh, and worship uh, with us. It's all weekend long. We'll have uh, a great service at Sunday morning uh, as well. So. If you have a teenager, grade 6 through 12, get them to sign up. Invite all their friends. There's no limit to how many people can come. So uh, we, we want to pack the sanctuary out, pack the, the host homes out. Uh, we are so excited about that. Get them signed up um, with that. And check out your bulletin for anything else, for other announcements, with the Wild Game Dinner um, and other ministries that you can serve in. So uh, if you would, please uh, stand as we read from God's Word. be reading psalm 40 verses 1 through 5 to the choir master a psalm of david i waited patiently for the lord he inclined to me and heard my cry he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure he put a new song in my mouth a song of praise to our god Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. You may be seated.
1: you stand as we sing together a great song. It's called Worthy.
2: As we go to our Savior in prayer, Holy Father, what a glorious privilege today to gather in this special place where you have visited many, many times, where you have touched hearts and changed lives, where you have helped us to grow spiritually and to walk closer and closer unto you. You are worthy, Lord. And we love you, and we express our praise and thanksgiving unto you. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness, that you're in control. Life sometimes seems it's out of control. But you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You're God. And we can praise you and depend upon you and trust you, Lord, to lead us through those challenging challenging and uncertain times. We pray, Father, for your work here at Broadway. We thank you for the pastoral staff and for the deacons and the teachers and the leaders and workers that are faithful here, God. We give you praise and thanks for all of these. And pray, Father, that as we gather this morning, that there would be a sense of comfort for those who are in the process of grief, those who are, Father, that lost loved ones recently. And we pray, Father, that your hand would comfort and encourage them. We want to lift up our pastor as he comes to share your word today. May you speak through him, and may we have open hearts and ears to hear what you have to say to us today. And Father, for those that have not yet come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that this will be the day we ask it all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. Romans 5.8 says that God proves his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Beautiful hymn, How Deep the Father's Love. Lord, together in your house worship you and sing your praises lord lord we ask you to bless the message here today May it bless us all and the one doesn't know you they'll come know you lord lord we just ask you to take this portion that we to, that you will receive lord to further your kingdom these things we ask in jesus name amen
3: love of God is greater far Than tongue or pen can ever tell It goes beyond the highest star And reaches to the lowest hell The guilty pair bow down with care God gave his son to win their inshall he reconcile and pardon from his sin. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong! It shall forevermore endure, the saints and angels song. Could we with ink the ocean filled And were the skies of parchment made Were every stalk on earth a quill And every man a scribe by trade To write the love of God above Would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky O love of God, how rich and pure how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels
4: Thank you, Herman. Thank you so much. I, we appreciate that. This is probably the earliest I've ever been up to preach. We even started the service five minutes late, David, so it's, already, it's only 11.06, so that means I get 50 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so... Anyway, open your Bible's book of Ephesians. I'm preaching on marriage, so it will take 50 minutes. We're talking about that for sure. Uh, pull out your uh, sermon inserts here in your bulletin. We are talking about Valentine's Day, in case you d- didn't know, and I still need to go shopping, it's Thursday. So, uh, this is a message here on marriage. We're going to see what the Bible says about that relationship. Really, it's a, the relationship that was instituted and created by God. God performed the first marriage, and in fact, uh, Genesis chapter 1 talks about marriage as well as it talks about the bride all the way to Revelation chapter 22. So this is a topic from the old and new, from the, from the front of your Bibles to the back of your Bibles. You need to know what the Bible says about marriage. So we're certainly going uh, to be looking at that. But you turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. And um, we're going to read the scripture here. This is uh, an important one. And, um, I wanted, this past week was Chinese New Year, and I had Chinese New Year, we always try to celebrate Chinese New Year, and, um, (laughs) I'll never forget, this is my third Chinese New Year in Kentucky, the first one we went to, uh, two years ago, my first Chinese New Year, I went to the Super China Buffet Number 1, and it was, you remember that place on TV, or it was in the newspaper about a year ago, they had the duck's? in the uh, back, and they were just op- out open. Those were the ducks we ate, so we haven't been back to that place, but we have now found real Chinese restaurants here. And always when you go eat Chinese, you always receive your, you get a fortune cookie at the end, and then you open it up, and it's a, a, I guess it's your message for that week or for Valentine's Day or for the new year. This is the year of the pig. That's what uh, this year's Chinese says. Your place in life is in the driver's seat. And that is certainly true when we talk about marriage. If you're a man, some of you, let's be truthful. Men, when you're with your wife, you say you only drive. Like, you don't even allow her to drive. Anybody, and that's me, unless Sherry beats me in car. Anybody else that way? <laughs> Four. Was, a couple of wives were pointing at their husbands when they didn't raise their hand. So it's true. that is a. Sometimes you feel like if you're married, you have to be in the driver's seat. You have to drive the car because you bought the car. You're still paying for the car. So you're going to drive the car with that. We're going to see here about relationships, about what scriptures tell us, about how important it is that not that we just get along with our spouses, that you need to have a marriage that flourishes and one that honors So, I have a little cartoon up here. <clears throat> this is Joe McKeever. Joe McKeever, he is a, um, a Southern Baptist pastor down in New Orleans, a cartoonist, and um, he's actually a revival preacher. He goes around, he, he sketches people when he comes to your church, but uh, he does cartoons. all Okay, exchanging rings was good, but now... To make your marriage work i want you to exchange checkbooks keys diaries prayer lists and facebook friends literally when you get married when you enter into a relationship with a spouse you just don't get all of a sudden a ring on your finger you get basically everything they are all their friends supposedly are supposed to become your friends All of their your your, their finances become your finances. Their debt becomes your debt. And so, my goodness, I really got it all when I got married. So that is certainly true with with uh, with marriage. And we're going to see that right here. But um, before we read this, I'm going to actually give you a history of marriage. I know we have some historians here, and I love history as well. But um, I want you to look up. I think we have it up on the screen now. Understand, marriage today, when we think of marriage, we think of, I'm going to find my soulmate somewhere in the 7 billion people in the world. God has the perfect woman for me. And I'm going to marry her, I'm going to spend $50,000 on the wedding, and I'm going to work the next 15 years to pay off that, that wedding ceremony with that. But the history of marriage, that is not what it was like. Let's go back here. In Bible times. Now this is the Old and New Testament. You say, what was, what was marriage really like in the Old and New Testament? And when we read Ephesians 5, we're going to see that, but during the Bible time, the Old and New Testament, marriages were actually contracts between the families of the two spouses, meaning your parents had a very large influence in who you married. It was the families would marry. They literally were uh, you would shop which family you're going to marry. Your mom and dad uh, pr- almost picked out your spouse. Parents were very involved in selecting their children's spouses. It also was a family decision. Listen, the church or the state, it was not involved. The government had nothing to do with marriage. In uh, many ways, you didn't have anything to do with your own marriage. Your mama and your daddy married you off. That is biblical marriage in the Bible. A sense, if, you, if there was one word to describe marriage in 2,000 years ago or even 3,000 years ago it was family and community when you, when i married uh sherry i went and spoke to her dad harry and received permission actually, i actually had asked permission from her sister as well so i mean you, that's what it was like you got permission you received that blessing from the family and then they told you what to do the rest of your life. I mean, that's what happens when you receive. I mean, you don't just get a wife. You get the whole, you get the whole Coleman clan. This is, your, this is who you're getting. Guys, when we read about marriage in the Bible, that's what it was like. I mean, it was all about community. Listen, during Bible times, when you got married, a lot of times, and when we were in Israel, especially when we were in Capernaum, we went and visited where Peter lived there. And it, what happened is the whole, it was a family compound. You had mama, daddy, Peter, and you know, Jesus was, he, he moved in too. Uh, if they had any kids, they just added on to the house. I mean, literally. When, and the way it worked, and in the Muslim culture today, what happens is when you marry off your daughter, she moves in with her new husband. And you say, well, where does he live? In Islamic homes, you just build another layer on top of the house. So literally, the kids live on top. Because grandparents can't walk up the stairs, so you put the kids. They just keep moving on up. And when you move into a family, marry into a family, that's what you're getting. There's so much of a sense of community. I tell you, this is missing today. This is very absent in marriage. Marriage today, and we're going to get there, is, is very self-centered. It can be about what's me, what do I want. That's completely foreign to the Bible. You know, your mom and dad almost picked out your spouses. And that, that's who you got. And if you don't like it, just make, make the best of your life situation. That was, <laughs> there you go, there's your life. So, two, 3,000 years ago, how to describe marriage? Family and community. All right, well, how did the church get involved in marriage? Well, we have to start, it starts with the Roman Catholic Church. Well, in 1512, about 800 or so years ago, the Roman Catholic Church began. Because remember, now marriage was just the Osmond family and the Coleman family. They like each other. So my dad, Sherry's dad, will send us off. We'll get married. That will be, we'll be trained. We'll raise our little family. So the Osmond Coleman clan came together. Well, then all of a sudden, the Roman Catholic Church, about 800 years ago, started getting involved in the marriage business. And what happened here was they began to start posting. So if I got married, I had to post a notice on my local church saying Daniel and Sherry, Daniel Osmond, Sherry Coleman are married. They got married on this date, so these people are now taken. And so that was, it began, the church started posting who was being married with that. Up until this point, remember, it was just... Only really, only folks who knew who got married were your families and those who you told. It wasn't in the city newspaper, it wasn't on the internet, it wasn't in church. It was just a community based thing. Well, also, the Roman Catholic Church, 800 years ago, they started, they declared marriage as a sacrament. Sacrament means that's how you receive salvation, that's how you get grace. Well, that's not biblical at all. So then the church, obviously. 800 years ago, the way you start, if you want to start marrying people, say, well, if you want to be saved, you've got to get married here at the church. Well, where did people start getting married at? They weren't getting married at home anymore. They were coming to the Roman Catholic Church, and they were getting married, and then they were saying also, that's also part of your salvation. So you see, now the church is getting involved in the marriage business. So you say, so how did the government start getting involved in the marriage business? How are we getting this today? Well, let's keep Fast forwarding, in 1639 in the state of Massachusetts, it was the first state that began requiring marriage licenses. So if I lived, this is back when Massachusetts was a colony, if I lived in Massachusetts, and we are an early nation at that point, a colony of Britain, and I wanted to marry Sherry, I had to go to the local courthouse and receive a marriage license, and I was then married. So, and now, you can certainly see, of course, anything the government gets involved in, we know if that happens there, it gets corrupted. So, marriage originally starts out, listen to this, I want y'all to follow it's so important. It's family, community, it then shifted to say, okay, the church is going to start getting into the marriage business, and now the government's going to start issuing marriage licenses, and we're going to start telling people who can get married and who can't get married. So there you have it. That's how we are in here in 2019 it started out of just moving all the way to this point so this and i want to go ahead and while we're talking about the the government with this and this is real practical cuz i think it's something for us to know in 2015 our our nation sadly approved of what we call a same-sex or homosexual marriage So the question is, what do you do? Because we're going to see here in the Bible, the Bible addresses a marriage. In Genesis 2, 24, God performed the first marriage, and it was one man and one woman. And the Bible says the two became one flesh. So what do you do when all of a sudden you live in a country that's saying, no, two men or two women can now get married? We as Bible-believing Christians, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you don't recognize homosexual or same-sex marriage it's not biblical so i think in a practical sense so okay daniel but people are running around saying they're they're married what do you do if you receive an invitation to a same-sex marriage <clears throat> in our our responsibility remember we always put god first we hold to his standard before anything else and god has defined a marriage based in book of genesis It's one man and one woman so the standard for us, if you get invited to a homosexual marriage, or uh, maybe someone's trying to get you to sing or participate in that marriage, or get, give a gift or something, invite you to that ceremony, it's best for us Christians to not attend. Let's say, you know, I'm not going to attend because your presence, and if you give a gift to that and you support that, you're actually showing, by your attendance, you're showing that you support it. So, we as Bible believing Christians, you need to recognize and hold that marriage is between one man and one woman. Listen, for some of this sounds so simple. A hundred years ago, you would have never even heard that preached from the pulpit. Ever. That wasn't even an issue. But we as born again believers, we hold to God's standard, we hold to the scriptures. And we want to be able to be faithful that when we get an account for our life, that we certainly say, Lord, I recognize a marriage. Even if the government doesn't recognize it, I recognize a marriage. And I see what the Bible says here as between a man and a woman. <clears throat> With that, in a little bit we're going to look here at uh, Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 18, about why get married. But anyway, open your Bibles. We're going to read along here. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, The guy who just said amen, he was one of the few that raised his hand, that he drives in the car. He received his um, the little, uh, little thing here. He goes, he's Chinese, that he wants to be in the driver's seat. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, look at this in your Bibles. Husbands are to love your wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So what Paul's painting the picture, I won't stop. He's painting this picture that biblical marriage, what a Christian's wedding and marriage life should look like, there's no selfishness involved. It's an act of saying, I'm going to put... My wife, my spouse's will before my will. I'm going to put his needs, her needs, before my needs. This completely, in many ways, completely flies into the face of this idea that I'm just going to go out shopping for a wife and you know see, see what I want, see what meets my needs. The Bible presents biblical Christian marriage as not being self-centered. Guys, we live in the most selfish, self-centered culture in the history of man. And Jesus is telling you, run from it. Don't let your marriage get sucked into that. You live a life of serving your spouse. You live a life of giving and putting hers and his needs before yours. And I want to tell you why. There's a reason why we do this. In the the clue that unlocks this Bible verse is what we just read in verse 25. Just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Listen, if Jesus died for you, if Jesus laid His life down for you, you should do the same for your spouse. Remember, the most important relationship in the world, we talked about this last Sunday, is your relationship with God. Your next most important relationship is with your spouse, your wife, your husband. And the way God's plan for that is you live a life just like Christ. If He laid His life down, you should put their needs before this. Th- that means, in a practical sense, that's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what Sherry wants. I'm going to do what's best for the family. I'm going to spend my time, my energy, my money, what's best for our family. Alright, keep going here in your Bibles. Verse 29 for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of His body. So we're saying, I'm a member of the body of Christ. Now here it is, verse 31. This is a quote here from Genesis 2:24, Best definition of, bi- of what the Bible defines as marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh that is that one flesh union that we see this is why divorce is so bad because it rips it apart God brings one man and one woman together and they become one this is God's plan for you this is God's plan for your children your grandchildren this is the family structure the most basic family structure that God wants children to come into the world and to to have children and grandchildren and that's God's plan for folks today, this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum it up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. One of the things we see here is the greatest sin that, that exists for marriage today is selfishness. Selfish, selfishness, it leads church to secrecy. It leads to adultery and ultimately leads to divorce. You ask someone who got divorced and they'll tell you, well, my spouse, if they're honest, my spouse was selfish. They were self-centered. They had other agendas. If your agenda is putting your spouse first, you won't get divorced. If your agenda is putting their will in front of your will, your marriage flourishes. You won't go around angry and bitter and filled with hatred. Jesus is telling us, He's saying marriage. It's something you step into agreement with and you're putting the other person before you. Yet it's the second after your relationship with Jesus. This is the the next and most important relationship you'll ever have. Pull out your little bulletin insert right here. Look at what it says here. What does a good marriage look like? Everybody here wants to be able to say, you know, I want a good marriage. I want to be able to say, this is a, this is a God-centered marriage that you can model to your children and your grandchildren. I want you to know, if you have children and they're at home, they're, they're, you're taking care of them at home, they see how mom and dad treat each other. They see the language that's used. They see how folks are treated. And if there's any sinfulness going on, listen, those children will grow up. And they will treat their spouses how they witnessed their parents were tr- treated each other. You see, the, the, the system, the chain, it just goes on down the line. Then the grandchildren, they grow up and see how their... your children were cre- treated mom and dad. This is the, the importance of having a good Bible-centered marriage is important. It's not just important to you. It's important to your children. It's important to your grandchildren. Listen, if dad is ugly to, to his wife and he treats her bad and he beats her up, he drinks alcohol all the time, beats the whole family up and can't keep the house... I mean, it's, just, it's chaos at the house. Those children will grow up and think, well, this is what a home, and this is what a family's supposed to be like. Because that's what they saw. You want to, if you're a young person, you should be praying for your, who you're going to marry. Praying for your future spouse because you want your marriage to model what Christ wants. So what does a good marriage look like? We must remember that Christ, not marriage, is most important. I don't want you to say, one of the things, if you're married to somebody and maybe your one spouse is a much stronger believer than the other, even if you aren't, even if you, first of all, if you're not saved, you should get saved, but even if you aren't saved, you should still come to church and model what a Christian home looks like for the sake of your children. You should be able to pass that, the biblical values, on to your children. And a Christian marriage is when you're putting Christ first in your life. Marriage is a call to die. It's a die to selfishness. You're saying, I'm putting my wife, my husband, his needs, her needs, before my own. Submission is to put the will of the other person ahead of your will. That is what biblical submission is. Listen, we are called to submit to Christ. We're also called to submit to our spouses. Meaning, submission is putting other people's needs before you. We are, when I use the word, when the Bible talks about submission, we're not talking about abuse. We're not talking about beating people up. We're not talking about forcing people. We're saying, I'm not going to be selfish. I recognize that the man is the head of the household. And if my My husband, if he seeks after and he loves the Lord and he's seeking after God, I'm going to follow his leadership. Have you ever noticed in the house, when Dad really wants something, it seems to happen. If Dad wants to spend money on something, if he wants to buy something, he wants a new TV, a new computer, a new phone. Does anybody else ever know? Some of y'all are shaking your hands, but I know it's true because I've talked to some other guys about this. Listen, if Dad wants to go to church, if Dad wants to be here with his Bible open, it will. The rest of the family will be there. They'll be there. That is the God made Adam first, then Eve. The husband is to be the spiritual leader of the house. Women, if you're single, you should be looking for a man. You want to say, I want to marry a godly man. I want to marry a man who loves the Lord. You want your children to grow up to marry someone to be walking down this aisle here uniting with someone who puts Jesus first. That's a picture here of what biblical submission is. You submit to God. You submit to your spouse. And not only that, look here, avoid being the passive husband. Actively love your wife. Let me illustrate this. In our home, I know when I come home, our most busiest time period in our house is from about 4.30 to 7.30. That's when chaos breaks out. That's p.m. That's not a.m. 4.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Why? That's when we're doing homework. That's when we're doing dinner. That's when we're starting bath. And that's when we're trying to go to bed. Like that is a those are the power hours at, at our home and it would be tempting for me to come home and go, my goodness, I've been dealing with these church people. I'm so tired. I just want to sit back on the couch and, and watch basketball or watch football or watch whatever's on TV and just, share, you just do whatever with the kid. I do But that's the greatest need 4.30 to 7.30. That's when fights break out. That's when war occurs. That's when if you're going to get your head bit off, it's going to happen in those hours because that's the time of we've got to do our homework, we get, we're home from school, we've got to get dinner on the table, we've got to get ready for school, get our backpacks ready for the next day, we got to get, you know, kids, we've got to get a bath and we've got to go to bed. We're not going to stay up to 9 o'clock. We're going to bed at 7.30 or 8.00, at least we're going to try to. That's the target range. We've got, to, we've got to throw a devotion in there also. Can't forget that. We've got to read our Bible time. And that's you have, men, you have to say, okay, if I'm going to be an active husband, when am I needed most? When is, when's the conflict? When's the war gonna break out? And, and couples have to recognize that. And men, we have to say, I'm gonna I'm gonna be active at the house. I'm gonna be active helping my spouse and with the children and the grandchildren. You know, one of the things we see here in the Bible is this idea of a soulmate. You know, you're know, you single, you're, you're, you're growing up and you're thinking, I'm just of all the people out there, I'm going to find the most perfect person for me. There's seven billion people all on earth. Lord, where is she? She's got to be somewhere. And a lot of times she just lives right down the road. <clears throat> She's not on the other side of the world. But <clears throat> the Bible paints a picture of, we're not necessarily looking for the most perfect spouse. Remember, we are fallen, sinful, broken people. You're going to marry someone, maybe in your 20s, and they're not going to be completely, maybe they're not all there yet. But a biblical marriage is that even if two people get married for maybe even the wrong reasons, and they're 23 years old, 24 years old, and they got married for the wrong reasons, the great thing about our Lord and the great thing about the gospel, it takes a broken man and a sinful woman, two people who are in need, and brings them together, and this is what the Lordship of Christ does. And you can take two people who maybe came into a marriage with the wrong or ulterior motives, and God brings them together for the purpose of glorifying Him. Listen, the greatest thing about marriage is if you've been married for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you should look back and every time you have those anniversaries, say, man, we, not only are we, Sherry and I, are closer together after 15 years, we're also both closer to the Lord. Not only have we matured and grown our relationship, we've matured in our faith. God takes newlyweds, and in 20, 30 years, they literally have become, might not even take that long, one flesh. That is a Christ centered marriage. So, what I'm saying here, listen, Broadway Baptist, your marriage, you should be not only growing closer to your spouse, even when you got married, if you got married to maybe you feel like the wrong person and for the wrong reasons. God can take two sinful, broken people and bring them together in a one flesh marriage, a one flesh relationship. Listen, you put God first in your marriage, you put God first in your life, you start living a Christ centered life under the authority of the Bible, He can do, He can mend any marriage. That's the wonderful, great thing about the gospel. God can take anything and put it together. That's what it means. He gave himself up for the church. Jesus died so we could so we could be saved. Not only that, it's an illustration for marriage. I had that Bible verse there. Genesis chapter 2, 18. So we, need, we really need to ask a question here. What's the purpose of marriage? Why um why why do why do we have marriage with that? You know, animals don't get married. Your dog doesn't get married. Uh, the cat shouldn't be getting married. You don't walk down the aisle with a horse a blue horse here in Lexington, so those things aren't going on. So this is why people get married because the Bible, it answers that question here in Genesis 2.18. God made Adam, and He named all the animals. That's where our animals' names came from. They came from Adam. And He's looking around, and He's thinking, you know what? There's no other animals here that correspond to me. So I need... I'm uh, missing something. And in Genesis 2:18, look at this Bible verse. It says, "It is not good for the man to be alone." Adam was alone. There was something missing with Adam. And the Bible says, God says, "I will make a helper corresponding to him." So the first thing that Adam needed, first thing with marriage, is obviously friendship. Adam needed a friend. Who was the friend? It was Eve. Now, she also became his wife. They only had one option there, one, one to pick from. But obviously, Adam and Eve were friends. That, was, that cured the aloneness. Without marriage, the Bible says you're alone. That means there's something missing. God created us to be married. God created us in the family unit to have children. God created, he he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, go populate the earth. Adam and Eve, this is how I created it for you to go out and set an example for the rest of humanity. So marriage, not only does it meet this aloneness here with Adam and Eve, that Adam certainly suffered from, It also gave him companionship and friendship. So what does that mean for us? Broadway, you should be friends with your spouse. Your wife, your husband should be your best friend. Now you should have other friends too, but you should actually enjoy the company of your wife and your husband. You should spend time together. You should go out on Valentine's Day to... Olive Garden wait in line for two hours on Thursday night to get a table. That's what you do. That's what couples do on Thursday night, on Valentine's night. You should go buy chocolate and then eat it all and then be regretful thing. I just gained so much weight eating all this chocolate that I did not need. That's friendship. That's the companionship picture that God is painting here in Genesis 2.18. Listen, we have a consumer mindset approaching marriage. And the Bible talks about marriage being a covenant. A covenant is a promise to us. When you marry, when I marry Sherry, not only am I making a verbal, a promise with her uh, horizontally, but also marriage is different. Malachi chapter 2 talks about this. It's also a vertical commitment with the Lord, meaning not only are we both married, but also God is involved in the marriage as well. Because why is God involved in it? Why is it a covenant? Where did marriage come from? Marriage came from God. It didn't come from the Supreme Court. It didn't come from the Roman Catholic Church. Marriage is an instituted that our Lord created. This is important. Marriage is not about spending money on a wedding. It's not about your individual happiness. It's the saying, God has brought us together so we can have a family and we can certainly honor Him. It's the supreme... God is the supreme good... Our marriage, it's not our marriage or an individual or children is not the supreme good. God is always first in our life. This is why divorce is so dangerous. Because what happens is when you break faith with your spouse, it's also the same as breaking faith with the Lord. Because why? Why is marriage so important? Because God's involved in it. This is why this is why Jesus says God hates divorce. It's not a part of this. All right. Last three things, and we're going to have our invitation for our 50-minute sermon today. Biblical principles in marriage. Number one, this is what I want you to take away. Selfishness is the enemy of marriage. If you're married, it is not about your happiness. This is what biblical submission looks like. You need to be able to say, I'm putting other people's needs before mine. Number two, we see here, submission forces you to put your spouse's will before yours. Absolutely. Others come first. Number three, this is based on Ephesians 5.25. Marriage has the unique power to show us who we really are. Did you know, if you ever want to know who someone is, you ask their spouse, because they know who they are. They know who they married. They know their secrets. They know who they are at the dark. They know who they are when no one's looking. And marriage reveals this. They know their temper. They know what they drink. They know what they're involved in. They know what they're looking at on the computer. They know who they're talking to, what they're playing with on their phone. That's who they are. They know if they have a devotional life. Marriage reveals. Marriage exposes you because that aloneness is gone. All of a sudden, you're there with someone else. Now this message here, this is a message for believers. If you are not a believer, your first step to having a godly marriage is getting saved. This is God's, what I've presented today is God's pattern for marriage. God has a pattern and a plan for you and your children and your grandchildren to get married. Marriage comes from the Bible. God performed the first marriage. Marriage is central in our culture and society and central also in the church. But if you are not saved, if this isn't a pattern, if you hear these words, you think, Daniel, this is so foreign to me. I have no idea what you're talking about. That's because your first step is trusting in Christ. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Is Jesus the head of your life? Has He become your Lord and Savior? If you're not saved, God's plan is for two saved people. Getting married and putting the Lord at the center of their life. And as you grow closer to each other, you naturally grow closer to Christ. If you're not saved, you need to get saved this morning. Getting saved means you pray and you ask Jesus into your life. When Jesus comes in your life, you're saved. And then not only that, He can also save your marriage. If your marriage is struggling, you turn it over to the Lord Jesus is in the business of saving marriages. No matter how bad they are, no matter how far you've gone, He will save your marriage. And He can save your marriage. Last story we'll share here about the saved marriage. Back when I was at Stanford University at school, I was on these things called Alabama Baptist Revival Teams. And we traveled around and we preached at different little, we did these revivals in these country churches. And I was at First Baptist Church of Livingston, Alabama. And I'll never forget the youth pastor I met there. The youth pastor was much older than Zach. Zach turns 31 next week. This guy was probably 51. He was kind of an older guy to be a youth pastor. But, you know, they had, surprisingly, they had a huge youth group. I mean, there was a ton of, teenagers everywhere at this church. I mean, the whole revival felt like this, like teenage revival, which was good. And and we were there, and afterwards, we went and ate at Sonic. There was a Sonic there. And I was sitting down there, and this is after the revival service, like 9 o'clock at night. And um, the um, the man, the youth pastor, was there with his wife. They were like early, about fifty-one. She was about fifty-two. And he says, "You know, Daniel, um, hey, I forgot her name. I forgot his name." He said, "We've been married before." I said, oh, "Really?" I said, "Yep. This is both our second marriage to each other." I said, "Daniel, um, we got divorced." We were married, what, 30-something years ago. And after about 10, 12 years, we were divorced. And made some poor decisions. But God restored our marriage. He brought us back. And He said, it's stronger than ever. And I never forget that story. Because that man there, And these folks, this youth pastor and his wife, they were like, they were running the church. pastor didn't run that church. I mean, they were committed. That youth group, they had more teenagers than regular adults. And God was just blessing their life, blessing their ministry there at First Baptist Livingston. Folks got saved at that revival. Teenagers got saved They had baptism. But that was an example of no matter, even when the most devastating thing can happen to your marriage, God can restore and save any and every marriage. Listen, we have to believe. The question God is asking you about your marriage, no matter if you're here and you're on the brink of divorce, or you have children who are struggling, do you believe and trust the Lord? Listen, who created marriage? God. Well, if He created it, can He not restore it? Can He not unite it? Can He not mend any marriage? And the answer is yes. Church, if Jesus is first in your life, if Jesus is the Lord of your life and you're under full submission to Him, saying, Lord, I submit to You, just watch Him. Take the broken people, broken pieces, and put them back together. God, I pray for the folks this morning. Lord, I pray for our marriages Lord, I pray the marriages here at Broadway are marriages that are centered and based on You alone. God, I pray if there's anyone here, maybe they are struggling spiritually, maybe their marriage is just at the point of going to the attorney and getting a divorce. Lord, let us turn and fall down our knees to You. Lord, You are in the marriage-mending business you restore and put back the pieces of people's lives god i pray this morning if there's anyone here or they might not publicly want to come forward and say i'm here to renew my marriage But lord maybe there's someone here that they're realizing spiritually they are not saved and they know that if they want a great marriage first they need to be saved <laughs> then, Lord, you make them into the man or to the woman that they can be to be a godly spouse and a godly father and a godly mother. Lord, I pray this morning that we will respond to you. You have called us and equipped us to have godly marriages, and I pray that we give and surrender all of our marriages here to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We close every worship service here with an invitation.